Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens and I've got COVID. Still, I'm not that bad, so don't worry. Anyway, this is the podcast where my guest chooses five things that they'd have in a special menu. A starter, a main course, a side dish, a dessert and a... No, sorry, that's off menu. My mistake. But then again, as I say, I've got COVID and I am going a bit stir-crazy. Never mind, this is my time capsule, where people choose five things from their life that they would want in a time capsule. They can pick anything they like. In fact, they could choose a starter, main course, dessert, etc. But they must choose four things they treasure and would like to keep safe or have again, and one thing they'd rather forget, that in fact, they'd like to bury in the ground and never think of again. So who will be the guest in this episode to reveal their time capsule choices? Don't know why I asked that question, I know the answer. It's the presenter, journalist, DJ and author, Rick Edwards, who since November 2021 has co-hosted the BBC Radio 5 Live Breakfast Show alongside Rachel Burden. Rick's early career included hosting a Saturday evening radio show on XFM and as a presenter on Channel 4's T4, alongside Jamila Jamil and Nick Grimshaw, amongst others. He was a presenter on E4's Tool Academy and during the 2012 Paralympics, he was part of Channel 4's commentary team and then presented the political discussion show Free Speech on BBC Three in 2013. Rick has presented Relentless, Freshly Squeezed, Stars and Strikes, Made in Chelsea, I Spy, Doctor Who Live, City Limits Live with Kate Thornton, Safe Word, Please Interceptors and the BBC One quiz Impossible, as well as appearing on various panel games as himself and writing three books, Science-ish, The Peculiar Science Behind the Movies, None of the Above and Hollywood Wants to Kill You, along with writing regular columns for The Observer, The Evening Standard and The Huff Post. 
He's recently launched a new podcast, Eureka, with scientist Dr. Michael Brooks. More of that in this episode. But also, the five things, no matter how insignificant they seem to others, that Rick Edwards would like to put in his time capsule. I'm off to blow my nose. Well, I'm going to start by saying that it's very good of you to do my podcast and it would be rude if I didn't almost immediately talk about your brilliant podcast. I love it, Eureka. Oh, that's very kind of you. And uh, you didn't have to start with that. You could have sort of buried it in the middle of the chat. (laughs) I didn't want to start talking about our relationship. (laughs) It's it's over now. Forget it, all right? I'm really struggling to leave it, Mike. Let it go. Let it go. The only reason I've agreed to do this is I want to have it out. (laughs) In the hope that we would get back together. But it's it's not going to happen. Okay, fine. I mean, you have told me a hundred (laughs) times. So you've done quite a number of episodes. You know, I really love the fact that it, you pick a subject and then you get somebody in who sort of knows about it and you go, what will happen? Does this happen? How does that happen? Yeah, it comes from um, a genuine curiosity that me and Michael have. We both love science. That's kind of how we met, actually, is yeah. through a shared love of science. And we realised that we both wanted to try and sort of talk about science in a quite specific way that we didn't hear that much I think in uh, certainly on on TV and radio Mm. and we thought I think you can have a kind of quite informal not particularly reverential chat about science in a quite an excited way genuinely excited way yeah and it it works and we I mean which I think comes across in the podcast we genuinely enjoy it and love the discussions and are interested by by the subject matter and also it's so broad like we can kind of we can cover anything we want and there's yes. no real there's no real restriction we can just kind <laughs> I of I love the fact that it jumps there's one episode which was uh, what's beyond the universe yes so, so you're talking quantum physics big question yeah big question and then the next episode is do we really need to go to school yes exactly <laughs> so it's there's a range is how yeah, I describe I it and that it keeps us on our toes it keeps the listeners on their toes yeah but they are both questions you go Oh, that's interesting. Well, I wonder mm. what they find out about this. Yeah, and we've been quite lucky, I think, in in getting really good people, mm. you know, experts, genuine experts in their field to talk to us about anything we want, really. Yeah. Um, and people are very generous with with their time. And I, I think you find that with people, particularly if the field is a little bit niche, people are just quite happy to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, great, yeah, an opportunity to share my life's work with you. And it's really good to talk to people who have a bit of knowledge, but not a great deal of knowledge. So they can sort of follow what you're saying. But then every now and again, it's important, I think, that they say, I'm sorry, what is that term you're using? Or yeah, on? yeah, that, that kind of the the tyranny of jargon. Mm. Yeah, I, I find it unbearable in, in all sorts of areas, actually. And hopefully we avoid that because it's just, it's just a turn-off, isn't it? And, and it, I, I used to find it with politics, I think, because there's so much of it in that. And I, I felt very shut out of conversations about politics because I didn't have any particular grounding in it. Like my my mum and dad didn't really talk about politics. No. And I'd never done it at school, really. And so my friends would sort of have these chats about politics and I'd just switch off, really, because like, I, I don't know what that means. Yeah. And I'm also a bit too embarrassed to ask. Mm. And so I think, you know, part of the skill of a good interviewer or a good, good presenter is just occasionally sort of checking in for the audience with that stuff. And, but exactly as you say, and to yeah. be like, uh, 
I'm not entirely clear on that. What does everything you've just said mean? Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and could you do that again, but uh, comprehensibly, please? That's yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> Assume I'm an idiot, which I am. <laughs> but you do. That's interesting that you have that attitude to politics because you do have a grounding in maths and science, though, don't you? Yes. I just really loved maths and science when I was at school and then did maths and science A-levels and then went to university and started off actually doing maths. And maths at university was... Um, eye-wateringly difficult. Um, so I, I, I stopped and, and, and did a yeah, science degree, kind of specialised in human impact on the environment. So, mm. well, really, climate change and, and uh, population dynamics, conservation, that kind of thing. Very much before it was cool. Mike. Yeah, yeah. I think you made it cool, Rick. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to take all the credit. Oh, do. Please do. You know, 30 40% of the credit I'll yeah. take happily. Yeah, but, um, yeah I just, I, I've always just been fascinated by sort of everything. I've, I've got one of those kind of slightly flighty minds, I think. I, I can get interested in anything. Mm. And science, I would argue, sort of does describe everything. And uh, I've looked for a long time for a sort of avenue to explore that mm. passion uh, professionally. And it's through meeting Michael that I was able to able to do that. Because previous to that, no one wants to really hear the guy who does sort of Divi entertainment TV shows talking about science, to be honest. Um, and then we were just able to go and do it on our own and, and no one could stop you. No, that is the joy of a podcast. You can do it. Yeah. And, you know, if people want to listen, that's up to them. But yeah. I'm surrounded by those experts. I have a son-in-law who's a lecturer in um, theatre studies and mm-hmm. media. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my wife is a doctor of biochemistry. Oh, wow. So they constantly talk in terms that I have the faintest idea what they're talking about. Does your wife teach at a university? Or? She, she was. She was a, a research scientist at Sussex mm. University for a while. Right, right. And now she works for QI. Oh, nice. Mm. That's a bit of fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. See, now that's the sort of job that I think you probably enjoy. Yeah, I really would, actually. Yeah, yeah, I'd love that. But it's quite, I think it's a useful trait to have, given my chosen career, actually, being sort of having quite wide-ranging interests and genuinely being fascinated by people, I mm-hmm. think, why people do stuff, how stuff works. You know, and I think I've had that since I was a kid. I mean, annoyingly, I wasn't a very good student. I was too, I was, I like doing stuff when I want to do it and when I want to learn about it. Um, and very much on my own terms. Right. Um, so I happily go off and read stuff myself. But the constraints of academia were not... Um, I think it's probably a timing thing. Mm. If I was to go back into... And I've thought about this a few times, go back into academia, I think I would love it now. Yeah, it's strange they make you do it when you're young, when in fact what you want to do is, well, other things. Very much so. I was so into the other things. Yeah. Well, for a moment <laughs> when you said... I. I wasn't a very good student because I was I was too. Um, and you paused for a moment. I I thought you were going to say good looking. <laughs> well, I mean, you're flirting with me now, um, and, I, and, I, and I really I really don't mind it. I'm just dangling that old relationship in front of you, full of regrets. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So you were at Cambridge, weren't you? Yes, yes, I was. I'm going to say it because I know a lot of people who go to Oxford or Cambridge avoid saying it because it sounds like boasting. But I mean, that's a, yeah. it's a big thing to do. I, I mean, I think that. Cambridge and, and, and Oxford are amazing in, in many ways. I don't think they're a particularly good fit for me. Mm. And when I went there, I, I sort of 
I sort of wanted to go to Bristol because most of my friends were going to Bristol. But I had the had the opportunity to at least apply and, you know, thought maybe a chance of getting in. And mm. uh, it was sort of for my mum and dad. Yeah, it's difficult to turn down, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that, that, like, you know, knowing in my family had been to university and it just like, it was quite a big, yeah, it felt like quite a big deal and, and, and it would have been churlish to to turn it down. And I'm really glad mm. in in hindsight that I didn't, but it's such a sort of high pressure environment and so much is expected of you. Mm. And I just didn't really want to give what they what they wanted. <laughs> and, and also, but truthfully, maths is one of those things, isn't it, where if, if you can do it, it's pretty easy. And I could, and then I got there and suddenly I, I couldn't uh. and I didn't really know how to deal with that no uh, I, I was i was too young to deal with that actually i think and too sort of proud and i didn't want to sort of dig in and, and put in loads of work because that's not what mm. mass was to me mass was like really fun i can just do this really quickly and um yeah off we go and that when that ceased to be the case i found it i found it yeah re- really disheartening and 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 disorientating actually mm. um and the other thing was i had a fear when i went there that the type of people who would do maths at Cambridge would be, um, well, weirdos. And <laughs> I got there and they, they were, <laughs> but, but like even weirder, like weirder than anyone I'd ever met, yeah. really. And, and I was the sort of outsider. So it was definitely me that was sort of ostracised by the other people doing maths, yes. not the other way around. No. <laughs> um, and, and you were kind of supposed to work in groups and, and they were just a bit sort of, didn't really want to make of me. Yeah. And so I, I was just sort of on my own. And it was, it was quite miserable. And you sort of had that on top of the slightly um, strange thing, which is certainly when I was there, so this is, you know, well over 20 years ago, so many public school kids and... I'd never really met anyone from a public school. You know, the, the specific type of public school kids who somehow all sort of dress the same and talk mm. the same and already know each other, even though <laughs> they've never met. Like, it, it's... It, it's a, Their families know each other. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they say to you, you know, what, what school did you go to? And you sort of don't quite... It's like an odd question. It is, but it's, isn't it? It's, it's framed like it's a perfectly normal question to ask. Why would you know my school? It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. I, I had exactly yeah. that experience. And uh, somebody said to me, what school did you go to? And I went to a school, just a normal school. It was called Ramsden. I said, I went to Ramsden. He said, Ramsden, where's that? And I said, it's just outside London, Orpington. And he went, right. I don't, I don't know it. I said, well, it's, it's just yeah. a secondary modern school. And yeah, why would you know he it? He stopped the party. I was at a party. He stopped the party to tell people. Listen, everyone. Listen, everyone. Mike here, he went to a secondary modern school. It was quite extraordinary. But but I imagine that went down quite well. But I imagine people were quite interested. I was a centre of attention. Everybody thought it yeah. was fascinating. And I'm sure it would have been much worse then. Mm. But so that those kind of... Yeah, all sorts of factors meant that I struggled a bit there. Mm. Um, and until actually I found, you, you, you find your people, don't you? Yeah. And you find the things that you want to do outside of the, the thrust of, of the, the academics. And, and then I, you know, I had a pretty good time. And all of my best friends now are all people that I met there. So, and, and that ultimately is the thing that I, I took from it, yeah. I think. That's brilliant. Anyway, let's talk about the five things you'd like to put from your life into a time capsule. 
Yes, so I've, I've got to say, I found this really hard because my list was too long. I wanted a, <laughs> I wanted to say, I wanted a bigger time capsule. Yeah. Um, and in, in fact, have you, have you done this? I have done it. Yeah, it's hard. It is difficult mm. because as soon as you, you want to get a nice balance of things, and also, it's it's heartbreaking to leave some of the things out. Mm. You're trying to represent different areas of your life in a way, yeah. and you sort yeah. of go. But whilst that was happening, this was also happening. Mm. But it's a choice in the moment. Yes, it's a good exercise. I I enjoyed doing it. I sat down with my uh, with my little pad and paper <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and and figured it out. And I was like, yeah, this is good. These are important things to me. Lovely. Um, so, can I give? Can I give sort of three just very quick honourable mentions? Indeed. To things that aren't going to make it in. I think it's important, yes. So my snooker club. Right. And it's, it's heartbreaking that didn't make it in, but it didn't make the cut. <laughs> um, and it's one of the few snooker clubs left in, in North London. And it's an institution and it's, it's, it's just the best. Are you any good at it? No. No? No, I'm not. <laughs> I th- I, well, my argument would be I've come to it too late. So we used to play pool and... That transition from pool to snooker is, I mean... Huge. It's so hard. <laughs> uh, but still still, still persevering, still, mm-hmm. st- still playing and still loving it. What's your highest break, I'm going to ask? My highest break? So you think that I would definitely know this, but I don't, because I've got a sort of false memory that I have once broken 30, but I'm just not sure that I have, because I'm sure it would be burnt into my mind. So I think... <laughs> It's gonna. It's an eight ball, so sort of twenty seven or twenty eight, something like that. Yeah, yeah. That's, which is that's all right. Which is, it's not good, but <laughs> it, it's enough that you can you can string some balls together, and you can not yeah. feel like you're not constantly saying, "Did you put my one up?" Um, which is the most heartbreaking phrase in a snooker Hoping somebody's going to foul the ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. my highest score of the night four. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I played on. Uh, I played on Friday and got a twenty-one. I was very, very happy with that. Very happy. Yeah, and that's Brilliant. that's yeah. So it's 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 just outside. We put that just outside. Just yeah. So that's that. So that's outside. Also, uh, it's not all games, but backgammon is the thing that I spend most time. So I just you know people kind of idle away spare moments on on their phone. What mm. I am doing is always playing online backgammon. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm obsessed with it. And me and my best friends play backgammon against each other and have been doing it for, for years and years. And it's it's a fantastic game. And it, and it feels like it's it's been there at various key junctures. But that hasn't made it in. But thank you, backgammon. Okay. And then the other thing is the octopus. I just love octopuses. But the, <laughs> but the octopus isn't in. So th- those are my, my honourables. Brilliant. Okay, what did make it then? So the first thing that's made it in is the 134 bus so the 134 bus is uh, a, a bus that goes from central london up into north london and i've been using it for years and years and years and when its route was slightly tweaked a few years ago it genuinely shook me <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. Okay, how can they do this to me? This is my bus. <laughs> Stop the bus. Stop uh, yeah. the bus. You're going the wrong way. <laughs> um, and uh, I really enjoy the bus as a, as, as a mode of transport. I like the people watching. Mm. Um, I like the fact that actually, compared to almost anything else in London at least, it gets you there pretty quickly. Um, I like the fact that you get to the tube. Yeah, the tube sometimes is practical, but no one enjoys getting the tube. The bus, I get up on the top deck, get to the front, look out, 
look at London. I love London. It's really, it's, it's an enjoyable, what could be a trudge mm. becomes enjoyable for me when I'm on the bus. And, and, and you hear all sorts and you see all sorts and everyone gets the bus. So it's a real mix. And also top deck, you can look into people's windows. Yes, you can. Yes, you mm. can. It's a sort of very low rent rear window. <laughs> and, and, and also it played a sort of slightly weird role in me and my wife's relationship which is the very first night that we, um, it's not the night that we met actually, but quite soon after we'd met, we'd been at a sort of mutual friend's birthday party at a bowling lane, classic. Mm. And then her route home was also on the 134, perfect. So we got the bus together. And then when we were coming up to my stop, I delivered what I think, I mean, I think it was quite a cute ultimatum. I mean, you tell me. Um, I said, well, look, you can get off the bus now and we, and, we can, and we can kiss or you can stay on the bus and then we don't kiss. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I think she was slightly taken aback by this because it's quite bold. Uh, and she said, well, okay, <laughs> and got off the bus. And so we had our, our first kiss by the 134 stop right outside um, my flat we genuinely kissed <laughs> and then she got on the next bus, which is quite, I think, also quite funny, which is the next 134. Um, yeah. And then, you know, things things blossomed from there. And we actually got engaged after six weeks, which is punchy. Yeah, that is. But then we've been together for nine years now and you sort of think, well, that quite sort of impulsive um, decision-making has been, I think, proved correct. Think mm-hmm. Things are great. And I got down on one knee and asked her to marry me at that bus stop, at the 134 <laughs> bus stop. Um, so, yeah, it has a lot of significance, <laughs> bizarrely, in, in, in my life. And I just, mm. I love that bus. That's brilliant. So whereabouts in North London are you then? Kentish Town. Kentish Town. So from Kentish Town right down into the West End. Yeah, although that's yeah. the thing. It now stops at Warren Street. So now <sighs> if you've been in Soho, you have to walk up to, I mean, it's... Bastards. Phew, Still, it, it still vexes me. I can't believe it. Why would you do that to me? But yeah, it used to be right in Soho, and it no. was uh, yeah, it was perfect. But and, and and we're both North Londoners as well. So Ema's from Highgate, and we live in Kentish Town now. So it felt appropriate to pick my favourite means of getting around that services North London, and that is the one three four. Well, I'll definitely put the 134 into the time capsule as your first Thank thing. you, I appreciate but that. But I will make it go right into the West End. Yes, you will. I'm not having it. I'm not having it. <laughs> no, you're putting in the 134 of yesteryear, actually. <laughs> Indeed, yes. <laughs> the good old days of the 134, when the 134 was the 134. <laughs> when we knew it as the 134. <laughs> Brilliant. OK, let's move on to number two. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, number two is my cat, Tippy. And the reason that I wanted to put Tippy in is, well, it's manifold, actually. Do I mean manifold? No, maybe I don't. What's manifold mean? <laughs> multiple? I don't, I yeah, don't know. but I, I'm, hoping it means, I'm hoping it means multiple. But as I said it, I felt very nervous. But I think it means obvious, isn't it? Is it? No, that, no, that's manifest, isn't it? I don't know. Manifest, yes. Manifest manifold. is manifold. <laughs> well, let's just assume, let's assume for now, Mike, that it means that it means it has, multiple. That manifold yes. has manifold meanings. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> you know, do, you, do you find yourself doing that sometimes? Where you say a word and then massively lose confidence and think, mm, why have I gone for this word? 
<laughs> when, when it's definitely a simpler one than when it doesn't. Yes, <laughs> exactly. In fact, oh, what we were talking about at the start, I've done that. Why have I done that? Stupid. I love it also when people use a word that clearly they've only ever read and they don't know that it's pronounced in an unusual way. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I Every now and again on the radio show, you'll get, obviously you get sort of tricky pronunciations, but sometimes there will just be a word and you think, well, precisely that. I've read this a bunch of times. I know what it means. I feel very anxious that I'm about to say this out loud. <laughs> you just, I'm going to give it a go. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, apologies <laughs> if I've mangled it. <laughs> or as I like to say, uh, mangled. Yes, quite. So, uh, so what are the manifold reasons yes, for, for yes, loving Tippy? Various reasons for putting Tippy in. <laughs> Firstly, I just love cats. I've always been a, a cat person. Mm. Had a cat from when I was very young that my parents, I think sort of quite perversely, they got a cat when I was six months old. And the reason that they didn't want to get a cat until I was six months old was in the interest of the cat. They didn't want... Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it was It's really sort of not, not the reason you'd expect from parents. You'd think it would be, well, we don't want the baby to get scratched by the cat or whatever. But their reasoning was definitely, they thought it through and they're like, this will be best for the cat. <laughs> a little and, child will be grabbing its tail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and that, that sort of relationship with cats that my, that my mum and dad has, has continued <laughs> in such a way that for many years, on their mantelpiece at home, there were no photos of me. There was a photo of my uh, of my nana, and there was a, a photo of uh, one of their cats. No, no trace of me. Um, so that's that's the kind of esteem that cats are held in in, in, yes. in my family. Um, they found the first six months of your life really annoying. Oh, this yeah. bloody thing! Yeah, yeah. it just means we can't get a cat. I know. <laughs> yeah, there's something missing here. <laughs> Um, and so then when I got Tippy and actually her sister, Stella, from a rescue centre about 13 years ago, and Tippy was the, was the runt of the litter, and she has real, uh, what I would describe as runt energy. Um, she's a really <laughs> peculiar cat. Um, yeah. To, to the extent that whenever people first see Tippy, their reaction is always... Ooh, oh, that, that's um. Oh, she is unusual because <laughs> she kind of has, and often people say she's got quite a human face. <laughs> she sort of, she does like she does. She's quite old now. She's tiny, um, looks a bit like a kitten, but then has this mad sort of gremlin, wide-eyed sort of human <laughs> face. Quite a big paunch. She's been on a diet for I think seven years now. Mm. Outlived her. Her sister Stella was a kind of was what I would describe as a classic cat, just like elegant, beautiful, just sort of you know picture perfect cat. She got ill and died when she was like eighteen months old. Really sad. Tippy wasn't mm. fussed, um, but Tippy, <laughs> you, you, my wife again says I can't imagine that Tippy is ever is ever going to die. It just doesn't really make sense that Tippy would ever die. No. <laughs> um, she feels too kind of scrappy, but I she just gives me an enormous amount of, well, grief on the one hand, because she's constantly hungry and she's always <laughs> sort of pouring at me, asking for food. Like, But she, she gives me a, a lot of peace as well. And I'm really, like, if I need to just calm down for any reason, really, just sitting with her, and this is sort of well-documented that pets have this effect, um, mm. but you just sit with her, 
sit with Tippy, stroke her for a bit, and it just settles me. And she's very, she's characterful. She's she's just she's she's such a weird cat, um, and I really like it. And I think we look quite funny together. <laughs> That's definitely another observation that people make. And uh, we did a sort of photo shoot for a cat vaccination campaign a few years ago. Mm. That was one of the oddest experiences, certainly in my life, and I think of Tippy's life because we had to take <laughs> her down to like wherever this photo shoot was happening, and she'd never. She'd never been in a car before, and so for that, she straight out of her basket. She was just complaining too much, and then spent the, the journey just looking out the window with her little paws up. Really, couldn't believe the world that <laughs> the world was just there. <laughs> and then when we got there, is so shy, like she's very nervous. Basically, couldn't get her to come out from wherever she was hiding to do this photo. So in the end, the, the photos, you can see I'm, I'm, I'm sort of gripping her, <laughs> like gripping her in position, <laughs> and she's. I mean, she's forcing her face towards the camera. Yeah, yes. yeah. No, I mean, literally. That is. <laughs> um, but the the sort of the real reason that I wanted to put in the time capsule is maybe a bit sadder, which is that Emo was saying the other day. Oh, it's it's strange to think that you know there won't be another Tippy, and mm. you know we we had just sort of sort of unthinkingly, really, you just get your pets done, but it. Yeah, because you you think well, I don't want them to just be, you know, breeding wildly, mm-hmm. and and so he was right. There won't be another tippy, and this kind of unique, bizarre animal will just you know she'll, she'll just disappear. And the, mm. and the thought that there won't be any tiny little tippies <laughs> running around <laughs> made me feel quite sad. And I thought, well, this is this is perfect. I should preserve tippy in in the time capsule because people perfect, will, people yeah. will find her interesting. I'm, I'm sure they will. But it's a wonderful thing that each animal that you have is as individual as mm. the next. It's amazing the difference between cats. I've owned a lot of cats in my life, and I can think of each one of them individually and the things that they did, and they're all completely different. I had one cat that would come nowhere near us. Mm. It lived in our house. It would come for food. It would only come near you and allow you to pet it if you were sitting on the toilet. That's it. I love the idiosyncrasies of it. I really yeah, do. It, it doesn't make any sense. Maybe it felt safe that way. I don't know. It felt you couldn't jump up and catch it. Yeah, it'd be like, well, you're prone, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit like that. I don't know. My, my nana, she had cats as well, and she had one cat called... She had quite a lot of unfriendly cats, interestingly. So she had one called Alfie that was genuinely... When I was a kid, I remember, just quite vicious. So I still loved him, but he, he, he was not a friendly... He was just a bit of a bruiser. Mm. And then she had a cat called Oliver, who, like, really liked Nana, but basically didn't like anyone else. And so just not interested, didn't want to be stroked, would just leave the room. <laughs> like, really, classic, classic cat stuff. But then when my Nana sadly passed away... We, we found a new home for Oliver and, and we couldn't really take him. I mean, well, I say that. I don't think we really wanted to take him, mm. <laughs> whether we could have done it or not. So we, we found, found somewhere for, for him to live and subsequently visited. He'd had a total personality transplant. He'd become this really sweet, loving... <laughs> uh, it, was, uh, it was baffling. 
we couldn't couldn't work it out. My nana sort of had a I don't know if she had a negative impact on him because they, the two of them had a great relationship. They can be like that, though. My mm. parents and I had a cat called Caesar, and he really was well-named in as much as he thought he owned the world. And he was yeah. lethal, mm. lethal cat. I mean, they had a cat flap, and I think one day they woke up to find that halfway through the cat flap was a swan. Wow. That is... It could kill anything. Yeah, and that feels like very Caesar behaviour as well. To yeah, be like, well, yeah. tonight I'm going to dine on swan. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And learn your lesson, everyone. <laughs> yeah, actually, Tippy no longer hunts anything. Like in her, when her and Stella were together mm. as a combination, they were a nightmare. Like you, you'd come in and they'd be ripping a wood pigeon apart in the front uh-huh. room. You'd be like, oh my god! Like they, they, they clearly had a good. Double act when yeah. it came to hunting. But now she's sort of pretty much given up. I did have one cat called Tommy who had a great skill of catching bats, which is amazing. Yeah. He, he would sit by the pond at the end of my garden and in the summer the bats swoop over it catching flies. And then he'd suddenly just leap into the air and from the darkness would bring down a, a bat. Amazing. If- You've, you've got to respect it. I mean, yeah. I know that there's all sorts of issues with the amount well, of quite, uh, yeah. <laughs> fauna that cats take down, but they are good at it. Mm. And occasionally, very occasionally, they will eat the spoils. Not as often as you'd like, no. in my experience. So I think, were you going to eat that? Were you just, no, no? Okay, fine. No, I brought it for you. It's a present. <laughs> yeah, oh, thank you. <laughs> it's swan again. That's what Tommy did. I've, I've caught a number of bats in my house when he brought them in with a sort of a muffled meow. Mm. <laughs> then you think, oh, no, he's got something. And uh, yeah. then you'd go down and, and flapping around the kitchen would be this bat, rather disorientated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. I quite like bats, actually. Yeah, I think bats too. are sort of uh, a little bit underrated. I think they're quite cute. Mm. got sweet little faces. Yeah, although I wouldn't suggest eating them. Uh, no, no, I think we've... I hope we've learned our lesson on that one. Let's hope, yeah. OK, let's put Tippy into the time capsule so that forever people will be able to enjoy her. Yeah, m- marvel her... Um, what is it? Amos calls her, says if she was working in the media, she'd be a character actress. <laughs> she'd be Miriam Margulies. Yeah, it's a, it's a great euphemism. <laughs> oh, fantastic. OK, number three. Well, I think I might add Eureka to the list of podcasts to listen to, but right now on my time capsule, it's time for some ads. We'll be back in no time. Cheers. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. Right, let's find out what else Rick Edwards would like to lock away safely in his time capsule. So... Shall we break it up and... and um, yeah, if you want to put the thing in there that, that you'd like to get rid of or forget about. Yeah, that's I fine. think so. So I'm going to get rid of my 3.30am alarm. Um, <laughs> so for the last year, I've been doing the breakfast show on Five Live. Mm. And it's been, it's, it's been great. I really enjoy it. But every morning when that alarm goes off at three thirty, I mean, <laughs> you say I, I just I hate I, I hate it. You say I hate you, Nikki Campbell. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Could you not have done another nineteen years? <laughs> um, and it it it, it kills me because mm. it's not even really. I don't think early morning. It's sort. It's the middle of the night, isn't it? It's not getting up early. It's sort of. It's the early that you get up sometimes to go and catch a plane. It's that sort of thing. Yeah. And it feels bad when you're going on holiday. It certainly feels bad when you're not going on holiday. Um, and, and every morning. And I thought I would get a bit more used to it or my body would adjust. And that hasn't really happened. I just feel vaguely um, jet-lagged most of the time. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, I did lots of reading before I started about the sort of health implications of getting up at that time. Mm. And the advice really is, well, don't do that. It's not, it, it's not good for you. And even if you think you're getting enough sleep, that just your sort of your rhythms are just out mm. because you want to at least vaguely try and sync with, with, with daylight. Yeah. Um, and you're not going to do that. So do you, do you live a sort of a, like almost like a Spanish existence? So you don't get a full night's sleep and then you get a bit of a sleep during the day and then... No. So I, I mean... I don't think I've quite found the solution, mm. but at the moment what I do is I try not to nap during the day because when I nap, I, I enjoy a nap, but then when I wake up, I always have an incredibly hot face <laughs> and I'm really grumpy. And this has been true since I was, since I was a baby, mm. apparently, according to my parents. Like they, they would never let me, like once I was you know, sort of two or whatever, have a nap because they knew that I would be in a foul mood <laughs> when I woke up. And I don't know what it is, but it's still, it is still true. So naps don't, much as I enjoy the, the nap itself, the aftermath of the nap is, is unacceptable for mm. me and anyone around me. So that's kind of out. So then I'm just, I'm trying to be in a position where I'm so tired that I can go to sleep at like eight o'clock in yeah. the evening. Mm. So I just shift everything earlier. And that sort of works 
But you do feel a bit like a child, sort of, when you're when you're getting into your pajamas at six, um, and uh, you know, winding, yeah, winding down, sort of think, well, I'll, I'll read in bed for half an hour. It's half seven. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and you do feel like you're kind of missing out on. It's not like I have a, a vibrant nightlife, but it'd be nice to sort of feel like I had the option, mm. and I, I don't really have the option anymore. But when I was reading to try and sort of figure out what you could do to mitigate. There's, there's not much, to be honest. Like, it is, it's, it's not good for you. And I've, I've realised that it's definitely, like, I've got... I'm, I'm going much greyer. And <laughs> I've had... And I don't, I don't know if this is related, but it seems suspicious to me. I've had food poisoning maybe once in 20 years, something like that. Not very nice food poisoning. And I've had it three times in six months. Oh. And I'm saying... This this must be like a weakness, <laughs> like a vulnerability in my body that the sort of the constant weird um, tiredness is uh, is is exposing. Um, Maybe I mean, but your whole sort of eating pattern must be thrown out as well. Yes, yeah. Mm. I, I try to do a long fast. So obviously you fast automatically when when you go to sleep, um, and apparently this is one of the things that people have said might be useful is try and have a longer fast. So I sort of eat my evening meal, you know, at six thirty or seven, something like that, right? And then don't eat until after the show is finished, so sort of nine thirty. So it's quite you know, it's like a fourteen hours or something. Um, but then I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm like trying to cram in three meals. <laughs> Luckily. I can eat and there's a lot of me. So that's so that's fine. But I genuinely like my the the, the gap between breakfast, lunch and dinner is, yeah. is surprisingly short. <laughs> when you go on holidays, do you switch back to normal time or do you find that you, it's impossible? It's 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 trickier actually. So we just went uh away uh, a couple of weeks ago and you know the the, the thing that I'm sort of fantasizing about most is just lying in, sleeping. I, f- I found it hard. I kept sort of just. I mean, there's a li- there's a little bit of time different stuff there, but generally, I, I feel like I have sort of geared myself up to be awake mm. after not that much sleep, yeah. um, which is a bit frustrating, isn't it? Just um, you're one of the few people in the world who looks forward to the clocks going back. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Because then actually, the, the the other good thing for me is it gets like. Going to bed when it's dark is obviously better. Like mm. in the summer, it's it's really really tough to, yeah, yeah. to go to bed at eight pm because it just doesn't feel right in any way. No, you can hear the world going on about you all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The world going going about its business, mm. having a nice time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to give them the news. That's the important thing. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, cheer them up with the news. <laughs> uh, so. What are your ambitions with it? I mean, I wouldn't have thought nineteen years like Nicky. I the, the respect I have for that man, mm. honestly, I just don't know how. I don't, I don't just don't know how he did it. I mean, I, well, he he loved it and was really good at it. I think it's, it's probably that, isn't it? But for me, I can't. I have no idea how long I'll do it for. Nineteen years <laughs> doesn't feel doable, and I, I suppose it's sort of. I've never really done a sort of quote-unquote proper job, mm. or at least I haven't had a Monday to Friday job since I was in my early 20s when I started out in, in telly and I was a, like a junior researcher, mm. which I did for about a year, 20 years ago. And so, and, and exactly as you all know, the kind of odd 
piecemeal nature of your work and never knowing when the next bit of work is or where it will be or how long it will be for, which is quite quite an anxious way to live your life, isn't it? But mm. you kind of get used to it yeah. and accept that that's just part of it and there are benefits to it. And I've always wondered if I could actually cope with anything that came along that was long-term. For example, if I suddenly got a part in a soap or something. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a real gear change. Mm. And I think I'm quite liking the structure just as a sort of novelty. Mm-hmm. And there, there is definitely something nice about knowing what you're what you're doing and where you're going to be. Mm. And how much you're going to earn. Well, yeah, that's another thing. Just yeah. the sort of, the, like, security. I've never had that. My wife's never had that. She's a she's an actress and, and writer, so same deal. So just having that is is good. Like, it's, mm. it's, it's different but good. But I think, realistically, I'll keep doing it for as long as I feel feel like it's going well yeah. and that the audience is is enjoying it yeah. and at the moment that seems to be the case which is great um but i i wouldn't i'd never want to overstay my welcome and but it's a brilliantly exciting thing to do isn't it you're going to turn up there every morning look through things have a meeting get prepared for the program and then you're on air and that's absolutely you know the seat of your pants stuff really it's it, it, every day it's, it's honestly um Exhilarating, mm. and and there have been, you know, if you look at the year that I've come in on, <laughs> oh my god, it, yeah, it, it's um, we've we've ticked a few things, indeed, up, you know? I know, and it's been madcap and fast paced and sort of bonkers, mm. but really fun and so immediate. That and that side of it, I really like, particularly coming from coming from TV, which is what I've done most. You know, I really like TV, but TV. You rehearse stuff. You have script meetings. You you know you, you sort of you block through. Like everything is quite meticulously planned, mm-hmm. and you know that's that's fine. But it does sometimes, I think, take the edge off the spontaneity of things. Not always, but it it, it can do. Whereas radio is so free, mm. and you know if you want to try something, you can just try it, and if it doesn't go well. It's fine. You just don't talk about it again, and then you, yeah. and you move on. But similarly, I'd not really done something where you know you're doing it every day, and so therefore there are going to be sort of undulations in terms of how you feel about what you've done, the the, the work you've done. And initially, when occasionally it'd be a show that I thought hadn't gone well, I found that really hard. I was just like, oh god, that was that was bad. But then you realise actually you're in a perfect position because you just get to go do it again tomorrow and do it better. Yes. Yeah, sort of the, that, that sort of ebb and flow is quite, is quite nice. And I've never had that before. No, I, I mean, you would assume almost with anything that you do that the more you do it, the better you'd get at it. And so you, your anticipation is that each show is going to be slightly better than the other. But actually that depends on the, the content, what's thrown at you. Yeah, it, it, it does. And, and also, you know, you, you are just going to have off days. Mm. And, and I guess how you manage those off days is is part of the skill isn't it so it not just being an absolute disaster and you managing to sort of you know piece together something good even if you don't really feel like it or if it's not for some reason you're just you know a bit slow on stuff Mm. but I, I think that the sort of I hope anyway the overall trend is that I'm getting better at it I'm getting more comfortable with it but there's definitely yeah pigs and troughs yes um and I'm and I'm sort of I've learned to accept the peaks and troughs mm. now in a way that yeah I, I, I struggled with initially yeah when I first started doing this my son who's the producer of this 
yeah. podcast gave me some very good advice. He said to me, after I'd done a couple of recordings, he said, you don't have to drive it. It's not your job. You just have to let it happen. That, that I, I think, if I can uh, briefly praise you, uh, is why um, I do take praise very well. Go, go. But it, it's going to be brief. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we broke up. You know that, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah not enough. You are a needy person, <laughs> and I know it's unusual for an actor to be needy. <laughs> um, but I think that the reason that this podcast is a very nice listen is that you don't say that much, which is like a slightly odd. Yeah, maybe feels like a backhanded compliment, but you're <laughs> you 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 speak when when necessary. You don't feel like you have to sort of force yourself into it, and it and it's really good, and it makes for a nice yeah it, it, yeah it makes for a really nice listen. I think that's good. Yeah, now I'll take that compliment of uh, I really like it when you shut up. Yeah, uh, yeah, mm. exactly. So um, yeah, now take the hint. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll tell you what the good bits are, Mike. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> I'm going to take the three o'clock in the morning alarm. Yes, and and consign that to the the tip of uh, history, please. Is it your phone? Does your phone ring, or is it an alarm? It's phone, and it's also um, I've got one of these weird uh, sunset sunrise alarm clocks. Yeah. Um, that slowly lights the room up in a way they're like, it'll be like waking up to daylight. It's not. <laughs> I can tell you that for free. <laughs> it's nothing like it. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, get rid, get rid of all of those. Absolutely. In they go. It'll become part of your spirit. You'll just wake because you want to do it. Yes. Yes, exactly. Lovely. Exactly. <laughs> okay. We've got two nice things to go in now. That's good. Yeah. So the next one is, and this will be different for everyone but i think everyone will know what i mean the food that saves you when you're recovering from illness <laughs> so the thing that you go to when you when you've been poorly and you're like oh i really need the and for me i don't really know why it's cheese and tomato sandwiches oh no that's not true i do know why it's cheese and tomato sandwiches because i was ill off school once when i was 14 say something like that um and i've been really poorly i can't even remember what was wrong with me um and i hadn't really uh, been able to eat anything and my mum wanted to go and see her friend Anne, and so she took me and she didn't want to leave me alone so i was still feeling bad so she said well come come to Anne's." i didn't want to go to Anne's, mm-hmm. um but i went to Anne's, and they sort of sat sat somewhere and i sat in front of the telly and it was sort of fine and then Anne said do you want anything to eat I'm going to make cheese and tomato sandwiches. And I was like, not, uh, I don't know. But then you want to be polite. So I think I said, yeah, go on then. And Anne bought me this cheese and tomato sandwich. And it was a revelation. It was the best (laughs) cheese and tomato sandwich. I wasn't a cheese and tomato sandwich fan. Best cheese and tomato sandwich I've ever had. Because my mum would never put salt on a cheese and tomato sandwich. Ah. Anne did. Mm. Oh, it's magnificent. And, and I can remember just just being blown away by this sandwich. <laughs> and, and now I have such a sort of Pavlovian, yeah, relationship with the cheese and tomato sandwich, which if I'm recovering from illness, all I'm thinking is, it's cheese and tomato sandwich. To be fair to my mum, it's also some soup, mm. any, like really just any soup, and then uh, Lucas Aid original. But that kind of trifecta for me, the cheese and tomato sandwich, the soup, and the Lucas Aid original are just very, very soothing, reassuring. Yeah, and, and, and not, like, I'm not eating any of them 
if I'm not feeling ill. Right. I'm, I'm not even going near, I, I wouldn't even, I don't think, certainly with LucasAid, like a LucasAid original, if you just offered me a LucasAid original now, I'm like, well, no, obviously not. Like, are you mad? Yeah, quite. <laughs> Um, but do, do, do you know what I mean? Like, I do, absolutely. You saved them for that special occasion, as it yeah. were, or, or unspecial occasion. Yeah, 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 those unspecial occasions when you just need, you need something from food. Mm. I guess soup is probably a classic, isn't it? Because soup feels quite easy to eat, easy to digest, mm. quite hearty. But yeah, the, the, the cheese and tomato sandwich, yeah, th- thank you, Anne. Thank you, Anne, for opening my eyes. Sorted, it's got to be sorted. Got to be sorted. I don't know what my mum was playing at. No, cheese and tomato sandwiches, yes. Now, I go to them occasionally because I forget that I like the taste and then I see them. So, for example, if I go to one of those, what's the name of those sandwich places they have in all the stations? Crusty... Upper Crust, is Upper it Crust, that's it? Yes. Thank you. Yeah, well yeah, done. Yeah. yeah, that's why you do the news and I just do it. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. listen, if you need to know the name of, of a popular baker's... <laughs> yeah. Greg's Pretz. <laughs> He's got a list. The man's amazing. <laughs> so if I'm standing there, I will notice the cheese and tomato roll, the crusty one. Mm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Now, my wife's going to tell me off because I'm not really supposed to eat white bread and I'm supposed to be looking after my diet, but I do love white bread, crusty white bread. And I will then see cheese and tomato and think, oh, I really like that. Yeah. But it's not a sort of, it's not a glamour sandwich. No. By any means. No, but I'm not keen on the overcomplicated sandwich. I'm not keen on that. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm fine with any sandwich, really. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the sort of the simplicity. I mean, actually, I really like a, like a homemade one. Mm. Like, I, I'm probably not. Like, I'm thinking, am I getting that in the crusty roll from upper crust? I don't know if I am. There's the question of whether, in fact, the tomato would have been in it for a while. Yeah. That's the mm. yeah. You, you want you want a freshly done tomato, so you, you you don't want any sogginess, ideally. No, no. They don't they don't travel particularly well. No, the, the cheese and tomato sandwich, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, I'm always amazed when my wife chooses an egg sandwich, a sealed egg sandwich, because I think the idea of having egg put into some sort of cellophane and left there for a while, even if it's chilled, I just find it disgusting. The whole idea. Yeah, I want. Is this is this a wife thing? Because my wife does that as well. Oh. Like she's very keen on a on a on a shop bought egg sandwich. I'm going nowhere near that. No, it doesn't make any sense. No. no. <laughs> but anyway, yes, yeah, so, um, yeah. I think it's nice to put in um, comforting post illness recovery mm. substances. Yeah, well, it's a good thing to have because I suppose if you think, oh God, I feel terrible. Oh, good. I'm going to have a cheese and tomato sandwich. (laughs) Bring me the salt. (laughs) Lovely. Okay, I put them in there. I'm going to put the elements in there so you can make your own. That that would be perfect. So nice, nice sharp knife, some salt. Yeah, that would be really good. Great. Thank you. Appreciate the attention to detail there. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Okay, we've got one left. I'm afraid. Yeah. Okay. So um, I don't know if this is uh, strictly allowed. But I'm going to put a person in. Yeah, it is. Against their, well, I don't know if it's against their will or not, but they're going in there. Um, and it's Dr. Michael Brooks, who is the guy that I do I do Eureka with, the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think I wanted to put him in because he has had such a positive influence and effect on my life, actually, and has, and has really sort of expanded my life and my work and 
career in such a such a great way. And I don't think I would ever tell him that uh, <laughs> <laughs> because it's not really the relationship we have. But he but he has. And so I first knew him just as a as a science writer, as a popular science writer. So he wrote um, Thirteen Things That Don't Make Sense, which is a fantastic book. Mm. Actually, my favourite popular science book. And I hadn't met him at this point. It was just I, I, I loved the book. And then we met through a mutual friend who sort of knew that I liked science and was interested in trying to do some science stuff and and they thought oh you should meet Michael and and we met and there was just that lovely alchemy where we just immediately hit it off and bonded over science bonded over wanting to sort of talk about science but not in that kind of po-faced reverential manner um like to to laugh about science a bit mm. to find science funny and point out the fact that science gets stuff wrong and science is <laughs> science has done some obviously science has done some great things science has done some terrible things as well <laughs> and it's okay to talk about that it's the joy of the subject though surely the fact well, that for a time they thought this and then they found out that it's completely wrong and i like that fallibility i think it's really endearing and really I'm very human, but um, mm. so I think it's slightly odd. Like Michael's got a theory, which I think is right, that after World War Two, there was a genuine fear of science because of the atomic bomb, mm. which I think is which I think is you know, reasonable, and and that meant that people like the Royal Society, who kind of were like the gatekeepers to all of the scientists said, well, you need to do a sort of PR job. And they're basically talking to the BBC. You need to do a PR job on, on, on science. You just have to talk about science in this kind of glowing, reverential way. Otherwise, we won't let you have access to, to, to the people. And, mm. and so the BBC, I think, not unreasonably, towed the line and did that. But I genuinely think that there is a, there is a hangover. I think it's still, I think science is still sort of held up in this, in this way that, isn't particularly true to what science is actually like. And, and, and Michael really feels that, and I really feel that, and, and we are both like, great. Which isn't to say that we don't love science. That's the thing. Like we, yeah. we, we love science and, and get really excited by it, but don't feel that you have to kind of, yeah, like t- t- treat it like it's better than it is. But it's a brilliant way to go about things, I think. It's a good lesson in life, the way that people approach science, which is that you think something, you think it might be true. I think this might be the case. And then what you do is you try to find things that disprove it. Yeah, yeah. Rather than finding things that prove it, you look for the flaws in it, yeah. in your own thought, in your own argument. Yeah. It's a great way to go about life, I think. Totally. And many people, for example, say, well, you can't trust science because they're always changing their mind. And you go, but we ought to change our mind more often. Mm. We ought to be dissuaded from our opinions. Yeah, I mean, we should normalise that completely in, in, all, in all walks of life. And it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of, you know, being flexible and open is vital and we're really bad at it. And we have these, you know, we have all of these cognitive biases and it's hard to fight against cognitive biases, mm. but it is possible. Um, and so it's interesting, you, you know, that thing of I think this, like really the, the utopian way of doing it is not to go in with 
I think I'm going to see this, which is why they do, you know, double blind studies to, to mm. remove those kind of uh, biases. But you want to, you, you just want to go in and go, well, let's see. And that's quite hard. Like we're, we're not brilliant at that. No, and we're not brilliant at funding either with that sort of thought. No. Uh, why are you doing this? What's it mm-hmm. going to produce? Yeah. I mean, the very fact that Rishi Sunak, when he was Chancellor, was talking about getting rid of university courses that couldn't show what they were going to generate in profit. Mm-hmm. And you go, but how can you possibly do that when it's just an imagination? Or, in fact, you're studying something for the sake of studying it. Mm-hmm. And most science will be looking at things. I mean, true fundamental science will be looking at it just to look at it. Yeah, that's right. And you, know, you look through the history of science, so much great innovation that has massive implications for, for the way we live our lives has come out of people looking at something else and then noticing, oh, that's, well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the great that we used to quote Isaac Asimov at the start of the podcast and we stopped doing it because we were using the same quote every week and it's quite boring. It's quite boring for me to say it. <laughs> but it's a good quote, which is that the most exciting phrase in, in science isn't eureka, it's, oh, that's funny. Uh, and yeah. that's sort of the essence of it. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I've proved the thing or I've figured out the thing. It's, uh, what is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> that's... That's yeah. the thing. You're like, oh, we weren't. We definitely weren't expecting that. No, absolutely. I didn't expect that. It's yeah. fascinating, isn't it? And mm. more so when people, for a long time, are going thinking, oh, I think we're seeing this. This is definite. Hang on a second. Yeah. And then they see, no, it didn't. It didn't do it that time. And in fact, you know, all mathematical theories are absolute, but scientific theories are until we find otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. This it's sort of like. Uh, like a holding pattern. You're like, Ooh. well, this is this is the best we've got, um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll stick with this for now, and then and then we'll see. Yeah, and that's that's a that's a great way of that's a great way of doing things. And and to go back to Michael, you know, we 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 very quickly hit it off. We realised that the two of us chatting about science worked, and I think that I really learned a lot from him because he's he's super smart. You know, he's he's a quantum physicist, but in his writing and his his communication of science he's so good at doing it without turning people off like he can talk about anything and make it accessible and and fun which is all that i've ever wanted to try and do particularly with science but sort of in in general and he's very very good at it and it's been uh, yes yeah, it's just been fantastic getting to work with him and then also outside of the work sphere just to have someone in my life who when I see something or read something sciencey that sort of blows my mind yeah I have the person to talk to <laughs> about it because, go straight to him yeah, yeah. like and, and, yeah, so we, we you know we, we text each other and, and chat on the phone loads just talking shit about science mm. and you know the stuff that we've found found funny or or particularly sort of gobsmacking yeah and there's always like there's always stuff going on yeah Um, and it's nice to have someone to share that with yeah well i would recommend it particularly for people who think they don't like science i would say listen to it because you'll find you love it that's a dream audience is Mm. that we've just got people listening who wouldn't listen to a science podcast Mm. That that I would feel like that's job done, like fantastic. A load of people are like, "Do you like science? Not really. Do you like Eureka? Oh yeah, love that. Yeah. That that would be yeah. We've done what we'd set out to do. Brilliant. 
Well, we will put Dr Michael Brooks into the time capsule as your fifth item. Cram him in there. Cram him in there with all his knowledge and all his entertaining talk. Yeah. Fantastic. But, of course, he can always make himself a cheese and tomato sandwich. I just see, he's got that. He's got Tippy to keep him, keep him company. Nice place to be. And he's on the bus. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it's perfect. Oh, fantastic. Well, Rick, thank you very much. It's been lovely to talk to you. Oh, thanks so much, Mike. Yeah, it was really good fun. Thank you. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Rick Edwards. Now, sadly, since this episode was recorded, Rick's cat, Tippy, has passed away. We know how upsetting this must have been for Rick, so let's all send our love, and we dedicate this episode to Tippy's unique memory. Many thanks for listening. Before you pop off, do take a moment to rate and maybe review this podcast and perhaps most importantly, subscribe so that we can send you every new episode as they're released to try and entice you to listen. You can also find out what's going on with this podcast by following my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. And you can find out what's happening in my life. Sadly, that's just bloody COVID at the moment. But there are the occasional highlights if you search for me and then follow me on the same social media sites. We always try to keep things civilised and friendly, an oasis of calm and fun in the maelstrom that is social media. Hopefully. The Mind Time Capsule theme tune is available on Spotify and was written and performed by Pass the Peas Music. This was a cast-off production on behalf of Acast, produced by John Fenton Stevens. And that's it. You are now free to either listen to the ad that they play at the end of a podcast or move on to another episode. We have over 250 of them. If you include all the compilation episodes we usually put out at the end of the year, then that's soon, as I actually record this. We also have some lovely Christmas episodes from previous years and some coming up very soon as a special treat, featuring some of the wonderful guests we've had on My Time Capsule this year. And then it'll be 2023. Can you believe it? And who knows what that year is going to bring? Happy things, I hope. I mean, there's enough bad stuff in the world, isn't there? I mean, you could be quietly sitting in your living room right now listening to this on headphones, completely unaware that you've left the back door open. And creeping up behind you is... No, 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 don't look round. Don't look round! Please, I beg you! Ah! It's not likely, though, is it? Is it Kevin? Kevin? Oh, shit. See the rest of you soon, then. Bye. Look, don't blame me. It's the bloody COVID. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Resistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.